The assignment I've been given for this evening is called The Truth About Family. And I'd better read it to you because there's nothing necessarily about just seeing that topic that would indicate what my actual assignment is. Parts of our culture are actively working to dismantle the family as God established it. What are the lies being promoted about the family? What might be the motives? What are the tactics these false teachers are using to spread their doctrine? How can we avoid being influenced by or supportive of these errant ideas? What is the truth about the family as God designed it? Contrast the plan of God with the plans of man. What are the advantages? What are the consequences? How has this assault on the family affected the church? How might we both as congregations and individuals best take a stand against this perversion of God's plan for mankind? I'd like to begin tonight by thanking Tad Morris for the last four hours of his class that many of you have heard because that can serve as an introduction. It's not mandatory that you heard it. There are some here that didn't hear it, but I wish you all had heard it. It was just excellent and covers a great deal of what has been said here. Charles's class these past couple of days has had indications and intimations along these same lines as well, and I wish you had heard that one as well. Uh, every time I heard one of these classes, the talk that I'm going to give tonight altered radically. And that includes today, so it, it didn't get the attention that it wanted, and I, I don't know what will happen, but since it's still in constant flux and in a state of flex, I'm anxious to see what I have to say. It's, I'll try to take what, in particular, what Charles and Tad have said over the past four days and apply it specifically to the family, because that's what I understand my assignment to be. And by the family, we're referring to, primarily at least, to the nuclear family, a man and a woman committed to one another in marriage, raising the children that spring from their union and any additional children that they adopt. That's what I mean by a family. You all are aware, I think, that there's an old Chinese curse that says, may you live in interesting times. I'm 72 years old, and I've never seen times in America like we're seeing at this time. There are forces at work that are trying to completely remake society, to try to make our children question every fundamental building block of society. What is a man? What is a woman? To try to rebuild our children's entire sense of reality, their concept of right and wrong, and their vision for the future. First thing I want to mention, because I don't know if it's been mentioned, it might have been mentioned just briefly from the floor in a comment, but I don't think it was mentioned in the classes. Maybe it was. The goals of these people who are trying to destroy our society are similar to the communist revolutionaries of the 20th century. The goal is societal transformation where the well-being and best interest of the individual are subjugated to the so-called collective good. They're using the same methods exactly as their totalitarian predecessors. And they target children 
so as to make their ideology spread to the parents. They denigrate merit, they pretend that two plus two does not always equal four, and they claim that that somehow relates to the issue of equity between people. They've got a set of deeply toxic ideas that are force-fed to the populace, but in particular to the children. It's a strategy of brainwashing that has already affected every corner of our culture. Their message is slipped in like Easter eggs for our children to discover in books, movies, TV programs, everyday interactions from cradle through college. There is an equity industrial complex with pressure on businesses to say all the right things, and children are sensitive to the contextual clues around them in the world. They conform to the cues that they are given. Younger children in particular are more likely to conform than the older ones. And we get to the place where we have a lot of people who are trying to cover up their true beliefs and say what they know to be the correct opinion to the outside world because it's obvious that unorthodox views can evoke tremendous hostility. Social media has opened a door to a forced conformity that we largely have not seen in our country before. We now know each other's ideas and opinions in a way that we couldn't have 20 years ago. Children want to please, and they will repeat the lessons being pushed on them from every direction. It was Mussolini who coined the term totalitarian, totalitario in the Italian language, everything within the state, nothing outside the state, nothing against the state, no dissent could be allowed. The conformity of totalitarian regimes, whether fascist or communist, always had to begin with children. Children were the great hope of the utopian future every time, and they were deemed to belong to all of society. The President of the United States said not long ago that our children belong to all of us, and our Vice President recently said the same thing. This has always been the approach because if the children could be convinced, the parents would follow, and any parent who did not follow could easily be removed from the equation. Mussolini didn't have the technology that we have, but he used children's magazines, revolutionary uh, things, ideas there to bring childhood under fascism. It was very successful. The Bolsheviks in the Soviet Union built kindergartens at a very fast clip, and the idea was to separate children from their families. In fact, as you know, under that system, they anticipated a general withering away of the family. The issue of who do the children belong to has been a key question throughout the years. Gubernatorial candidate Terry McAuliffe in Virginia said, I don't think parents, this is a direct quote, many of you heard it, I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach, end quote. I think the first time I heard that, my jaw may have bounced off the rug. Because although I'm not surprised that he believed it, I was surprised that he said it out loud. Sometimes in spite of ourselves, we say exactly what we think. The election of his opponent, Glenn Youngkin, was widely seen as the revenge of the parents. It's not a new concept to separate children from parents for the purposes of indoctrination. 
but it was just shocking that it was being attempted so openly in America already. There is a mission, make no mistake, to destroy the nuclear family. Why? The woke movement hates normalcy because normalcy is happy. Normalcy resists change. And the great enforcer of normalcy in any society is the family. The family takes men off the streets and domesticates them in homes, caring for wives and children. The family creates bonds and loyalties between people that come before politics, before the state, and before anybody's ideology. And wokeness hates this. The new attack is to convince six-year-olds not to believe what they see. You have male genitals, but really you're a girl. You see mommy and daddy, but really there are no such categories. Instead, there's just a gender spectrum. And kids are damaged and confused by this. And that's what wokeness wants. They hate it when kids see normalcy as normal because they know that the revolution will fail unless they can get a large group of people who hate the way things are and think that it would be a good idea to tear down established ways of living. That's why they promote alienation and grievance. Mao Zedong did precisely the same thing in China. The family stood in the way of what he was trying to do. He needed people to place the interest of the states above those of the family, because the family at that point in China had been by far the most powerful institution they had. But now under Mao, youths were encouraged to love Chairman Mao more than their parents. Collective daycare centers were established and became the norm. And then parents began to be attacked by their own children. Little Red Guards were the children of the Communist Party in China. The state became paramount, and children would turn their parents in. Your mother criticizes Chairman Mao at home. You turn her in, and she is shot dead. That happened repeatedly. In the Soviet Union, family was secondary to the state. Communist youth groups were a staple in Soviet Russia. Children would become little Octoberists at the age of seven. When they got a little older at 14, they would join the Komsomol, Communist Soviet Youth. Children were taught to be like the hero, a little boy by the name of Pavluk. Pavluk had discovered his father hoarding grain and informed on him to the authorities and became worshipped for this feat of heroism, informing on his father. Statutes of, of this little boy were erected all over Russia. Poems and songs were written about him. Children were taught to be like him, to put the state above all, especially their family. They would write poems to the great leader Lenin. They had to. There really wasn't much choice. Stepping out of line was always severely punished under totalitarianism because it has to be. Being independent might lead to other people being independent and the system will collapse and that system will fight to keep itself going. They also implemented the erasing of history. The Soviet version of history omits many facts, and the erasing of these things became problematic. All the problematic things of the past were just erased in, in order to make it necessary to support the, the regime. They made history whatever they wanted it to be so that even what we believed in the recent past can no longer be allowed. Words we used just recently, 
ideas we promoted just recently now have to be discarded, and anybody who does not comply is suspect. The Cultural Revolution in China, launched in 1966 and lasting a decade, erased, erased everything of the former culture. Under the Communist Party, arts and music had to be specifically socialist in nature. Mao got rid of old habits, old ideas, old customs, old culture. And in China today, the Chinese Communist Party makes sure that its message is central in the arts. That's the only purpose of the arts as far as they're concerned. In Cambodia, Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge took power in the mid-1970s and restarted history at the year zero. Utopia always requires the destruction of the past. And again, children were the main target. In order to enforce loyalty to the state, the Khmer Rouge broke people's ties to religion and family. Formal education entirely ceased, and from January 1977, all the children from the age of eight were separated from their parents and placed in labor camps. And the labor camps taught them that the state was their true parents. Children were central to the revolution because they're so easily molded and indoctrinated and conditioned. They can be taught to obey orders and become soldiers and kill enemies. They learned that they needed to fear being caught on the wrong side of the line lest they be erased from history too. Pol Pot was responsible for the murder of a quarter of the population of Cambodia in the 1970s. In January of 2021, the San Francisco Board of Education decided, almost unanimously, to remove or to rename many of the city's public schools, removing the names of honored historical figures like Washington, Jefferson, John Muir, Paul Revere, Francis Scott Key. They even wanted to remove the name of Dianne Feinstein, maybe because she hugged Lindsey Graham. Anyway, the president of the San Francisco Board of Education said, quote, I want to ensure people that this in no way cancels or erases history, end quote, when of course that was exactly what they were wanting to do. Christopher Columbus made four trips over here from Europe, never landing in what is today the United States, but getting the blame for all sorts of things. At least 33 statues of Columbus in the United States have been removed, including one in Columbus, Ohio, which is named after him and has not yet been renamed. Lots of statues of Washington, Jefferson, Teddy Roosevelt, and others have been removed as well. In this process of activism, you have to keep moving the goalpost. You can never consider that you have solved your problem. You've got to find new problems because otherwise the movement can't keep going. You have to be active in finding somebody doing something wrong somewhere. It always requires new pressure points to keep it spreading. No question, but what much of our current woke thought has its origins in Marxist thought. So the same ideas that failed miserably in the 20th century are circulating today, and in particular in our public schools, but also in our doctor's offices, our medical schools, um, in businesses, it's all over the place now. They used the Justice Department of the United States to target parents who spoke up at school board meetings. Parents at these meetings, according to the Justice Department, quote, could be equivalent to a form of domestic terrorism. And the Attorney General of the United States directed the FBI to investigate the parents 
the message is clear. Be quiet, parents, or we're going to get you. I want you to understand, in case there's any doubt in your mind, that your child is your child, given to you by God, and you have authority over that child. The fight for our children is a fight against collectivism. Totalitarians will always try to sever that tie and bemoan the influence of the parents. I was shocked when our president said that they're all our children, they're not somebody else's children. That's simply not true. My children had some good teachers, but they still belonged to their mother and me, not to the teachers and not to society at large. The home is the place where we teach our children to stand up for themselves and to learn that they don't have to hide their true beliefs. The home is the real safe space where kids can feel free to be themselves. In the Soviet Union, most parents would not dare to contradict what their kids learned at school. Rather than that, the parents reinforced the things that they themselves knew to be untrue because they knew that if they talked about the truth at home and that child went to school and told the truth, that both they and their child would be in danger. So they parroted lies knowingly to keep their family safe. You and I are at a dangerous moment in our country right now. We have not yet reached times like those. But it's necessary right now to protect our children and to say what you know to be true in all kinds of contexts in your life. The home is the last line of defense. Many parents recently have seen for the first time how far their own government will go to quiet them. A lot of parents became quite aware in 2020 because their children were home and learning remotely and the parents could hear over the computer what the, the students were being told. You heard a lot this week about critical race theory. It teaches children to see themselves and each other as inherently oppressors or oppressed. It traffics in shame, guilt, and resentment. It dooms students to pessimism and despair. It's antithetical to excellence and achievement and hard work and individual potential. It destroys successful merit-based programs in our schools. You heard in the assignment that I read to you, I was asked, what might be the motives? Well, I can take a guess about some of the motives for some of this. You may have heard of Ibram X. Kendi. I don't think he was mentioned this week in Tad's class, was it? He wasn't mentioned, but he could have been. I'm sure Tad just ran out of time. But this is a man that guides white people into believing that they are racist. He is part of a group of race hucksters. I say it unabashedly because I know it to be true. Fairfax County Public Schools in Virginia paid this man $20,000 for a one-hour Zoom call. So what might be the motive? That's one possibility. No wonder your property taxes skyrocket. <laughs> this is a system that is ripe for con artists. Montgomery County Public Schools in Maryland paid $450,000 to a consortium to conduct an anti-racist audit. That's money that could have been spent on education. It seems like a scam because it is. It obviously is. And we could go on and on with this. One family moved from the San Francisco Bay Area to Indiana to escape wokeism. 
They didn't want to raise their young daughter in the toxic climate that they found pervading their area in California. So they moved to Carmel, Indiana, just north of Indianapolis. Many of you are quite familiar with that area. They moved to Carmel, Indiana because they loved its family values and its fiscal responsibility, but they soon found that Carmel was following the same woke path that they'd already seen on the West Coast. Indiana was just a little bit behind. They saw all of the same seeds that had already ruined their own home, in their opinion. And they noticed that many of the native Hoosiers had no idea what was coming for their way of life. The majority of people from Indiana are kind-hearted, and the leftist ideology takes advantage of that. The man in this family that I'm talking about eventually started an organization called Unify Carmel to bring up to their school boards the shockingly explicit books that were in the school libraries. They went to the school board meetings and they read out loud the sexually explicit and gender propaganda books during open comments in a school board meeting. You may have heard about it at the time. It shocked a lot of people because people just didn't know. Woke teaching takes over everything and it puts identity over everything. You're not an individual, you're a part of a group, and you can identify that way, and that's the category that you have to be in. The race you're born into decides everything, and yet you can change your gender at any time. It's just really an odd situation. I'd like to say a little bit about textbooks, because I think this may be important to some of us. Second graders in some places read a book about whether an avocado is a fruit or a vegetable, and then they're told that they can be anything they want to be. Now, in my time, when you were told you could be what you want to be, it means you can pick between being a firefighter and a doctor or an astronaut. But now, it leads directly to what gender the child identifies with and how they want to be perceived by the class. Seven-year-olds are being conditioned to the idea that their birth gender might be temporary, but it can be switched at any time. It's called breaking the gender binary that you heard about in Ted's class. Kindergartners read picture books that affirm transgender conversions. They look at photos of boys in dresses and perform rainbow dances. Secrecy is quite a part of the indoctrination process. Parents should be aware of curriculum. If you have children in public schools, you should know that you can attend class as an observer at any time. Our tax dollars should not be used to teach our children to hate our country or to hate each other. The ACLU is a perfect example of an institution that has just collapsed under the weight of wokeness. You know what it stood for all through the years. You could count on it to be very consistent. Ten years ago, the ACLU was on the side of transparency, arguing that parents had a right to see what sex education curriculum would be used to teach their kids. In 2018, the ACLU conducted an investigation down in Kentucky, all 173 school districts there, to see if they were secretly teaching the Bible in the public schools. But now, now that kind of transparency is bad since it will inevitably uncover leftist teachings that the ACLU believes should be allowed to stand. It's been an amazing reversal to watch. We've got kids competing with each other to see who is more oppressed. And we have teachers encouraging this 
with leading questions. I encourage you, if you do have children in public schools, to talk to teachers, talk to principals, know what's going on there, talk to the school board, attend the meetings, support candidates, or do whatever you can do to help out the system to be the way that we all believe that it needs to be. We have a problem in pediatrics. This is one of the areas of medicine, along with psychiatry and epidemiology, that are probably the wokest of all. And you may have a questionnaire if your children go to a pediatrician, especially if you choose a new doctor. You may have a questionnaire that asks what your child's pronouns are. Feel free to leave that blank if you choose. They may ask, do you have guns in the house? Feel free to leave that blank if you choose. And you might suggest that they ask a more statistically relevant question, like do you have a swimming pool? Because a lot more kids die in a swimming pool than by gunfire at home. Especially though, as I said, I want to talk for a moment about the books because there's a process to the publishing of children's books and it's gone woke now. The way they select winners in children's literature is just amazing. Example, for three years running, a book named George took the top spot. I could read you an excerpt from it, but I'm not going to. You can get sick just by imagining it. This book was marketed for ages 8 through 12. It has won at least seven awards. It's what many libraries in every place are recommending. And the title isn't even George anymore. It's now called Melissa, so you get the picture. Nothing's ever woken up. Some librarians today have told me that they barely recognize their own profession anymore. But the woke librarians are fierce defenders of exposing children and teens to explicitly sexual content. They're doing it on purpose, and they think it's a good thing. Meanwhile, they eradicate Laura Ingle Wilder's name from the Lifetime Achievement Award that she used to hold because her body of work includes expression of stereotypical attitudes that are inconsistent with the core values of wokeism. Six Dr. Seuss books were removed from circulation in 2021. To Kill a Mockingbird, The Great Gatsby, I could go on. In fact, the books they are removing or want to remove would make a fairly good high school curriculum. This is the future they want. The erasure of the past, the erasure of all the classics, replacing them with radical gender ideology. Publishing companies are incentivized to publish woke content because these books get better reviews. And the reviews are crucial for garnishing bestseller status. So at the large publishing companies, the woke worldview is the default. This shift really started occurring about a year ago in earnest. Woke books get starred reviews, and then they end up on the shelves. Ten years ago, we wouldn't have dreamed that if you were of the white skin tone, that you wouldn't get signed up as an author. But now that is being said out loud. They've got quotas now. Scholastic is one of the largest publishing houses for children's literature. It has an entire section, you can see it on their website, that's devoted just to LBGTQIA++ topics. If you're a young author trying to get started, the agents are telling you, well, this is a pretty good story. Wish we could publish it. If you only had a gay character in there, if you only had a trans character in there, maybe we could sell it. So they're messing with the art to shoehorn in all these characters. 
The enemy is prowling in children's literature today, parents. Be aware of that. You have to have diverse characters there, and they have to be portrayed in the right way. We're getting closer and closer to the propaganda rules under Mao and Stalin. So look up the books on Amazon and check the one-star reviews. On television, there are growing numbers of shows aimed at redefining traditional gender roles from children. Listen to this. From, 17, from 2017 to 2019, two-year period of time, we had a 222% increase in the number of LGBTQ characters in children's content on TV. And it's not just the content of the shows, it's in the commercials as well. We're to the place where my assumption about any new show is that there will be objectionable content in it. We've come a long way in the wrong direction. I think I'm just going to skip a couple hours there. <laughs> I was asked about solutions. What do we need to do? What does the church need to do? What, what do we as our families need to do? The church needs to continue to teach the whole Bible to the whole church. We need to continue on with the truth as we have and not alter the truth in any way or shape. I think that's obvious to us. On an individual level, there is a great deal that we can do. You can construct defenses around your soul that protect it from our broken culture and help your children to do the same thing. You can reclaim authority over your life and your children and choose to live again in a way that within recent memory was considered normal. We didn't really become the extremists, they did, but they think we're the extremists, so let's just be the extremist. I'm a domestic extremist, just by these folks' definition. That's, here, here's what makes me so extreme. I'm in a monogamous marriage, and I intend to stick with it until death do us part. My wife and I believe that two genders are plenty. <laughs> My wife and I had three children together, even more than that really, because surely miscarried children go to heaven too. My wife and I don't agree that aborting healthy full-term babies is health care. That's what makes me an extremist. I believe the most crucial job of women is to keep humanity going. My wife stayed home to nurse and raise our babies. I believe parents are a child's primary authority and their primary educators. I'll tell you these days, I would not trust the average childcare expert to even walk my dog if I had a dog. I refused to hire strangers to raise my kids for me. We went to church as a family. I don't think schools should encourage eight-year-olds to change their genders in secret. Every person in our family remains the gender that they were assigned at conception. I think the only flag we've ever flown at our house had 50 stars and 13 stripes. We believe in God, Jesus, the Bible, and the church. And these simple choices set me apart from mainstream American society now. That's what makes me an extremist. I haven't changed, but I became an extremist because things around me changed. I can guarantee you pretty well that there's nobody like my wife and I on TV or in the movies unless they're getting mocked for their hopeless provincialism and backward mores. 
So I'm a fringe weirdo on whom the regime's brainwashing didn't quite take. You can choose a lifestyle different from the people around you. You can choose a lifestyle that will bear the most fruit only after you're dead. You can choose a lifestyle that makes you and your children ungroomable. Sometimes these days I feel like Carlton Heston at the end of Planet of the Apes <laughs> when he suddenly realizes that mankind has destroyed itself. You finally really did it, you maniacs. The United States government calls people like me domestic terrorists or says that we're verging on it. I prefer the word extremist. They want your children and they're coming for them and they're saying it out loud. We're here, we're queer, we're coming for your children. Children are their prey. Children are their prize. In some cases, your children's minds may have already been taken and you don't even know it yet. Those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. Why would you let people who hate you tell you how many kids you can have? But that may well be coming. The ideal woman today is a transgender woman. The ideal man is a feminized soy boy stripped of his toxic masculinity. And the question is starting to be asked now to mothers in the delivery room. What gender would you like the doctor to assign to your child? The more I look at the situation as we see it in our time, the more I look at the woke movement, I come more and more to the conclusion that it has a lot to do with Weak men and unhappy women. What was the movie Psycho trying to warn us about? A boy raised by a domineering woman. Think about what the babies want. Babies want to be with their mother. Babies and young children have the highest degree of relaxation and happiness when in the presence of their mothers. Babies who are with their mothers do the best in life the ones that are with their mothers the most. Spending more time with your children during this critical period of development means that your child will have the greatest chance of being emotionally secure and resilient to stress. A mother's physical presence alone is not enough, although very important, but what's vital also is her emotional presence. And this obvious commonsensical fact, so uncontroversial through human history, is now a forbidden truth. We see everywhere the long-term consequences of children raised by daycares or by babysitters or by each other. They often comfort themselves with narcissistic addictions to promiscuity or drugs. They have exponentially higher rates of mental illness and incarceration and violence. I think you should avoid daycare like the plague because it is a plague. Those long nights with a tiny child are prime bonding hours. Most of the people involved in getting new mothers back to work as soon as the bleeding stops never seem to bother to think about what might be best for the child. And so many babies that manage to make it through the filter of abortion get caught by the daycare filter. So strangers do the parenting, but without parental affection. Their job is to keep your child alive without running afoul of the state regulations. Only Satan could have invented the concept of daycare. Hand us your six 
weak old baby so you can go contribute to the economy. I understand that single mothers and struggling families may have little choice, but keep in mind that the cheapest childcare has a profound hidden expense. Breaking the maternal bond releases more negative energy than splitting an atom. Keeping mothers in close physical proximity to their offspring for as long as possible is best. The female body is imbued with something as close to supernatural magic as we can get. We've got such a muddled idea that women are free when they serve their employers, but they're slaves when they help their husbands. Many now think that a woman's true value can only be expressed outside of the home. Quality, affordable daycare for babies used to come with the baby in the form of a lactating mother. Did we really have a baby formula shortage? Or was that masking a shortage of mothers able to nurse infants on demand from the comfort of their homes? We've drifted so far from the original feminist notion that women have equal right to work to a nightmare where women must work in order to have equal value. Under this scenario, it's abortion that makes it possible for a woman to participate fully in society. And that's precisely what Attorney General Merrick Garland said recently when the Supreme Court reversed Roe v. Wade. Quote, the Supreme Court has eliminated a right that has safeguarded women's ability to participate fully and equally in society, end quote. He made it clear what he really wants you to eliminate, ladies. They're destroying the most precious and the most unique thing that only women can do. The rejection of motherhood as a worthy and acceptable vocation in favor of other more equal career choices is a colossal error. When our, when our daughter Amber was at Meadow Lane Elementary in Lee Summit about 1984, she had an assignment to draw a picture of herself engaged in the career of her choice, whatever that was going to be. And Amber drew a beautiful life-size picture of a mother holding a baby. That's what she saw her mother doing at home, and that's what she wanted to do. But her teacher said, that's not enough. You need to want to do something else. Don't you want to be a lawyer or a doctor or a marketing associate or a sales rep? And it's this attitude that has created millions of lightly or barely parented children. I'm not against women seeking careers. I'm saying that fewer women should, especially the ones who want to see their children during daylight hours. Your children need you more than your customers. Just forget equality. True female equality is not going to be achieved until women are half of all military casualties and half of all suicides and half of all police officers killed in the line of duty. Forget sameness, we're not alike. It's obvious we're not alike, and God didn't make us alike. If you're anxious about leaving your baby to go back to work, understand that you're supposed to feel like that. Extended separation from your baby is designed to fill you with anxiety. It's God's way of telling you to go find your baby. I've heard women talk about having to pump milk in the bathroom stall at work. And I feel bad. Even most cows today aren't milked where they poop. <laughs> I just feel bad that we get so skewed. Parenting is not a game. There's no do-over. 
You are all that stands between your small charges and the roiling storms of culture. You're an extremist if you don't think young children need to learn about sex and gender dysphoria yet. You're an extremist if you question a teacher or a school administrator's choice of books. You're an extreme extremist if you'd rather not force a five-year-old to feel bad about the color of his skin and apologize for it. Strange thing that children have to ask permission to sleep over at a friend's house, but not to become a different person. General Sherman said, war is the remedy that our enemies have chosen, and I say, let us give them all they want. So become more domestic. Become domestic. It's totally natural, it's organic, and it's gluten-free. Probably you come from a long line of hardcore domestic extremists. Their extreme domesticity is the reason you're here. Each of your ancestors, male and female, the only two kinds there were back then, were domestic extremists. We can go back and we can go back without needing butter churns to do it. It's an attitude. Remember that those who leave the truth do not escape into freedom, they just escape into fashion. If you forget or you neglect, to give a kid a proper moral education and guidelines. Bad ideas are going to fill that void. A child not taught good rules will decide that he or she can make up the rules. And I know what awaits teenagers. I know what awaits teenagers armed with nothing but their curiosity, their car keys, and their hormones. And I've seen Planned Parenthood tear open unhealable wounds. Aborted babies must go to heaven too, but where do the souls of the mothers who killed them go? 50 million children a year intentionally aborted worldwide at this time. I'm challenging you to be a domestic extremist. If you're married, have a marriage mindset. Commit to your mate willingly and totally. So many people have no problem committing to a permanent tattoo, but can't seem to commit to another person. If you're not married, don't cohabit before the wedding. Living together is more likely to make a wedding less likely, because why bother? And it's also more likely to lead to divorce if you do marry. Marrying before you start living together makes for the lowest divorce rates. Agreeing together long before the wedding that divorce is not an option is the best thing to do. If you go into it thinking that divorce is a lifeboat, you're just more likely to end up in that lifeboat. Realize that unless there is a plane crash or a car wreck, one of you must bear the burden of watching the other die. And this is something to think about. Most of you know my wife. You know, these old eyes of mine still see her in her prime. It's a remarkable thing. This is a priceless core memory that only a lifelong spouse can preserve for you. She looks at a recent picture of herself and says, oh, I look so awful. And I say, what are you talking about? And I think she'll be holding my hand on my deathbed. Understand that once you have a baby, its happiness is instantly more important than your own. And one of the gifts you want to give it is a sibling. They'll play with each other, and then you won't have to obsess over just one. <laughs> but our government overlords may outlaw having three children soon. That's already being looked into. 
So have that third one while it's still legal and keep going if you're of a mind to. Remember, you can die waiting for the perfect time to do something. Babies don't care how old the car is or how small the house is. And newborns don't cost that much. And it's cheaper when you breastfeed. And if you don't mess it up too badly, maybe they'll take care of you when you need it most. Be a domestic extremist. Burn all your ships like Cortez did in 1519 when he landed in Mexico. Lean into your marriage. Lean into parenthood. It's a lot easier if you surrender to it. Your children's childhood will swiftly draw to a close. And when it's over, whatever time you spent together cannot be increased and cannot be modified in any way. What can you do to increase world peace? Go home and love your family. Be a domestic extremist. I've got a granddaughter here. She, uh, she had her boss ask her if she knew how to use a broom and a dustpan. And she said, yes. As if, doesn't everybody know how to use it? But she found out that a lot of people her age don't know how to use a broom and a dustpan. How does she know how to use a broom and a dustpan? Some domestic extremist taught her how. That's how. <laughs> and by the way, you can be a domestic extremist without being a domestic expert. You don't have to enjoy every aspect of it either. You can do enough things well enough to keep everybody alive and clean and fed and relatively happy. Your faith in Jesus Christ gives you a robust natural immunity to the worst excesses of the prevailing culture. If you want a vaccine against the culture, be sure you pick the right one. Choose the one that works. I can tell you, when I grew up, I had beliefs that kept me forever at arm's length away from my secular peers. Somehow, I automatically knew that those were not my lifelong friends. Because to many of them, there was no God but Santa, and Rudolph was his messenger. In the vacuum of emptiness left by the absence of truth, a child will fill it with whatever cultural junk is lying around. They don't really know any better. There's an ocean of comfort and resilience built into children who grow up knowing that God really loves them. The Lord gives you the confidence to live and to be happy. It's so important to realize that there is that ever-present shadow of death it permeates daily life, and the trick is learning to accept it. Suffering, instead of driving me away from my faith, has only brought me closer to it. You should each spend a little time thinking about your grand finale here on earth. Your entire life is a preparation for your death. Raise your children in the faith, and no politician is ever going to be able to gain complete power over their hearts and minds. This is why the people in charge bleat so loudly about the dangers of religious fundamentalism. They're afraid of having you laugh in their faces. Even in the depths of a gulag, no human authority holds sway over a human spirit that is one with God. Children who believe the Bible will naturally be skeptical of politicians who make dumb decisions. They will intuitively understand that unborn children have a right to live. And they will seek to live by a moral code that cannot be legislated or repealed or modernized or overturned. They will be forces for good 
in a world breaking bad. They will be better able to resist the urge to join the lemmings flinging themselves by the thousands into the Trans Canyon. They will have more willpower to refuse that first offer of a dangerous drug. Faith gives children ballast. It gives them balance. One reason I never used LSD, and it may be the main reason, was because my dad did not use alcohol. My friend, and he and I were in his bedroom, I remember the conversation very well in 1968. There's the LSD on the table. And my friend says, well, my dad's downstairs drunk. I have just as much right to do this as he does to do that. But I couldn't say that about my dad, so I didn't do it. I'm so glad now that I didn't. At the time, I didn't realize what might have been at stake in that moment. Children who believe in God are much more likely to raise their own children to believe in God. Obviously, there's no guarantee that a devout child will thrive in the future. But it's the best hope we have. And I want to tell you a story as we get ready to wrap here. I am aware of the time. I'm going to just tell you a story, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying I'm a little ambivalent about this story. I'm not totally sure how I feel about it. And I don't expect all of you to feel the same way about it. And it isn't my hope that you all will feel the same way about it. I just want to make one point from it and just ask some questions for us to think about as we get ready to wrap. On May the 24th, 2022, a lunatic barricaded himself inside a Uvalde, Texas elementary school and began killing children. You probably heard about it at the time. For nearly an hour, men wearing body armor and holding high-powered rifles stood outside the school inadvertently protecting the shooter. He was able to kill 19 children while armed law enforcement stopped good Samaritans from entering to rescue the kids. Desperate parents screamed for them to go in and save the children. In response, the police began arresting the parents. Angeli Gomez was among the parents begging the police to rescue the kids. Her two little boys were trapped inside the school. She was handcuffed, but then freed, but still retained and detained by the police. When I think about Angeli Gomez, I think about what Agatha Christie said about a mother's love. You may be familiar with it. Quote, a mother's love for her child is like nothing else in the world. It knows no law and it knows no pity. It dares all things and it crushes down remorselessly all that stands in its path. Angeli Gomez somehow managed to bolt out of police custody, jump a fence, and run into the school where a live shooter roamed. Inside, she reported that there was not a police officer in sight. And alone, as shots rang out nearby, she retrieved her boys from their classrooms and got them out safely. But instead of calling her mother of the year, the police threatened to charge her for talking to the media. Regardless of what you think of this true story, Regardless of whether you think one thing's right or one thing's wrong here. And I can see your ambivalence because Romans 13, let every soul be subject to the higher powers. There is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God, yes. But also Acts 5.29, we ought to obey God rather than men. If God told me to bring my children up, I've got to do my best to keep them alive so I can bring them up. 
So my question is, who has the final authority over your children? You, the parent, or the state? Who's got the final authority? The police in this story were just following orders, just like it was said at Nuremberg. Sounded better in German, but it's the same idea. You are the parents, and who do you think you are? That's my real question tonight. Who do you think you are, parents? You think you know better than the school? You think you know better than the NEA? You think you know better than the police? Well, maybe sometimes you do. And I want you to understand that I'm not in favor of vigilantism, at least not ordinarily. But I want us to be domestic extremists and understand that we have the authority over these children and God has given us the responsibility and nobody else. I just assume these days that any given adult is questionable until proven otherwise. I don't care if it's an evangelist or a teacher or a coach or another parent. They've got to prove to me over time that they're worthy of my trust. Just can't afford to take the risk. You say, Rick, you're paranoid. Well, listen, I didn't used to be. What made me paranoid? Watching my life over time. Homeschooling is becoming a better option for many people. It's true, if you homeschool, your kid could miss out on the opportunity to be a homosexual activist, but everything's a trade-off, right? Listen to this. 94% of political donations by teachers' unions go to politicians who believe that kindergartners can choose their own genders. 94%. The convenience of a free local school can prove quite inconvenient in the extreme over time. Out of an estimated eight 1,700,000 animal species on Earth, biologists have so far identified a grand total of two genders. And as my wife and I say, two genders are plenty. Men cannot transform into wisdom, into women, just in case anybody should happen to ask you. Girls cannot transform into boys. Nobody can be both genders or neither gender or several genders or change genders. So refuse to give this nonsense any chance to ferment in your children's minds. It's the equivalent of teaching them that the earth is flat and is at the center of the solar system. Some people feel that they're a different gender, but that's a feeling, not a biological fact. And it almost makes me laugh to even have to state that, but it also almost makes me cry. In our country, so-called transgender adults have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Great. Just leave the kids out of it. In this third decade of the 21st century, you would do well to avoid the well-worn path. Refuse to let contemporary trends derail what you know to be true. There is no more dangerous group in modern America than a self-sufficient, loving family who has no need of the people in charge. The powers that be want broken families. They want children to hate their parents. They've convinced legions of young women to self-sterilize and exterminate their own children. Remember the woke movement, they don't want children of their own. That's why they kill them. That's why they want yours. They need children, even though they kill their own. 
They have reduced masculinity to a disease and seduced young men into lifelong pornography addictions. They have deliberately sown confusion and trauma in the young, the very young. So they're the real extremists. But families, like nobody else, can forge their own little cultures. An intact nuclear family is a weapon with secret powers. Families like that are kryptonite to the ruling classes. So become radioactive to the regime. And together, you can forge a culture of your own. Be domestic extremist. With marriage between a monogamous mating pair, a father and a mother together raising children, and child care largely performed by a family, hold to those archaic values like chastity and modesty and honor and loyalty and chivalry. And if the Lord tarries in his coming, I hope you get to your deathbed with as few regrets as possible. Just remember to do what the babies want. They want to be born. They want to be loved by both their natural parents. They want to be breastfed and kept close to their mother as long as possible. They want siblings. They want to spend their days at home. They want their mother's arms and their father's hugs. And there's no time like the present to start your future. Death closes all. But something ere the end, some work of noble note may yet be done. Tis not too late to seek a newer world. So long as there are homes to which men turn at close of day, so long as there are homes where children are, where women stay, if love and loyalty and faith be found across these sills, a stricken nation can recover from its gravest ills. So long as there are homes where fires burn and there is bread, so long as there are homes where lamps are lit and prayers are said, though people falter through the dark and nations all may grow, with God himself, back of these little homes, we still can hope. The invitation is extended as we stand together and sing one final number. Kyle?